Um, so we're in Luke 14 today. Um, if you want to turn there, we're going to be starting at verses um, 7 uh, to 24. I love this passage. I remember the first time I read this passage, though it couldn't, it couldn't have been the first time I read it, but it's sort of the first time I took notice of it. Um, I was in my early 20s and uh, wasn't yet married, and uh, I'd been basically doing some street work in the, in the town I lived in, in South London, and um, I was meeting a lot of people on the streets who were... A bit rough, let's just, let's just say that. And uh, at the time, I was living in quite a nice part of town, and uh, I just felt provoked to move house, to actually live down the bottom by the high street where a lot of these people lived. And in that studio flat on my own there, um, I remember reading this chapter, and I was absolutely gripped by it. And I thought, goodness me, I, am I a Christian? <laughs> I need to live this way. So... As we read these verses today, I just, um, I love these verses. So if you're with me, Luke 14, hopefully you can see those. Um, Here we go. So just verse 1, just to give us a bit of context. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. So Jesus is at a meal table here. And when he noticed how the guests picked the places of honour at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honour For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honoured in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbours. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard him say this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I've just got married so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servants go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you have ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited We'll get a taste of my banquet. Let's pray, shall we? Father, thank you for your word. And we ask you to send your spirit. Take these words and get them into our hearts. Get them into our minds. And cause us to be deeper disciples of Jesus. Amen. 
So this morning I said we're looking at the subject of generous hospitality and here in our parable in Luke 14 Jesus is teaching about what the kingdom of God is like. So really he's talking about what, what is God like? What are his ways? What are some of the things that God does? And uh, what's it like to live under God's good rule? As I said when we were reading this, let's just pause for a moment and just remember that the overall setting for this story is at the meal table. Jesus is eating a meal with people. And if you go through Luke's gospel, you find stories of Jesus eating with people all the time. In Luke 5, Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners at the home of Levi. In Luke 7, Jesus anointed at the home of Simon the Pharisee during a meal. In Luke 9, Jesus feeds the 5,000. In Luke 10, Jesus eats in the home of Martha and Mary. In Luke 11, Jesus condemns the Pharisees and teaches the law at a meal. Here we are in Luke 14 again. Luke 19, Jesus invites himself to a dinner with Zacchaeus. In Luke 22, we have the account of the Last Supper. And in Luke 24, the risen Christ is a meal with two disciples on the road to Emmaus, in Emmaus, and then later eats fish with his disciples. It seems that Jesus' regular practice was to have meals with people. And indeed, if you read the early church fathers from like the second century, there's so many accounts of the early churches eating together and the meal being this pivotal time. So my first point is very simple, and it's, it's just three words that I take very seriously. And in fact, I would put these three words up there with what it means to be a disciple of Jesus as highly as prayer and Bible reading, actually. Um, and those three words are, eat together often. Eat together often. Now, I think these are kind of fridge magnet statements, and I've actually got some fridge magnets made up um, that you can either come and get from here or there's some by the tea and coffee to stick on your fridges to remind you to eat together often. Let's just think about what it means to eat together often. There's a guy called Tim Chester who's written a book called A Meal with Jesus, and he says this. He says, think how different the dynamic is when we sit and eat with someone. We meet as equals. We share together. We affirm one another and enjoy one another. A woman once told me, I know people do a lot of things to help me, but what I want is someone to be my friend. People don't want to be projects. The poor need a welcome to replace their marginalization, inclusion to replace their exclusion, a place where they matter to replace their powerlessness. They need community. They need the Christian community. Being generous in our hospitality is more than just eating together, isn't it? Um, But I've got to say, this simple concept that I probably first came across about 12 years ago of regularly eating with people, I've tried to do um, virtually every week since, and, and it works. You know, whether it's evangelism, whether it's mentoring someone, whether it's discipleship, whether it's pastoral care, whether it's home groups, get some food out. I'd really encourage you to eat together often. We want to create places where people feel expected and welcome. Another quote from this book. Hospitality involves welcoming, creating spaces, listening, paying attention and providing. Meals slow things down. Some of us don't like that. We like to get things done. But meals force you to be people-orientated instead of task-orientated. Sharing a meal is not the only way to build relationships, but it is number one on the list. However, back to our passage, let's not imagine that I'm just encouraging to have good times with your friends, as lovely as that is. In our passage from verses 12 to 14, Jesus says, when you give a dinner, do not invite your friends or relatives or neighbours or rich neighbours, but invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed. 
take a look at this next slide. Now this is from a guy called John Mark Comer who spoke at Wildfires. I, don't I wasn't there and I don't think he gave this talk there but you can get it online. Um, and this is just all about the difference between entertainment and hospitality. So what we got there? Entertainment, exclusion. You are invited into my home you are, and consequently you are not invited. Performance, sense that you are cooking your best meal. You're going you're to entertain these people. Host, guest, very much someone sitting there, you are serving them. Sporadic, doesn't happen that often perhaps. And it's reciprocal, often in our culture, if you've had someone over for a meal, it's a sense that they should have you back. Whereas hospitality, in contrast to that, is inclusive. Actually it's about service, it's not about your own performance and how good the meal was. It blurs the lines between host and guest. It's actually, come and help me, let's do the washing up together. It's a way of life. It's not just, oh, I'll book you in for some time in 2021. It's actually, it's a way of life. Come over this afternoon if you can. Why not book something in this week? Come on. And it's generosity, actually. It's not about, I do this for you, you do this for me. It's, it's generous. So Jesus tells us not to invite our friends. And if you look at the person's response in verse 15, it's almost like... They're a bit shocked by this, and the guy is sort of tries to lighten the mood, because he says this, when one of those at the table with him heard this, this don't invite your friends stuff, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know what his response, what he thought Jesus might say to that, but um, perhaps something less challenging. <laughs> but instead, he basically, Jesus retells the parable again in more detail. And he goes on, um, goes out to those who are invited, and they reject, they reject they reject this invitation in verses 18 to 20. We're going to come and look at that a bit more later. And he goes out to this invitation. As Mike has already wonderfully shown us, this invitation goes out to the broken. And that is what the kingdom of God is like. I've got another fridge magnet for you. Um, here we go. So the first one was eat together often. I literally have that fridge magnet as well, if you want it. Invite the uninvited. That's my second point. Invite the uninvited. Now, of course, this parable has a few different meanings. You know, is it about the end of the age, the end of the world? Is it just about welcoming the poor? Is it just a picture of our own sinfulness, the fact that we are lame and broken? Um, is it about the Jewish people rejecting the Messiah and, and, and then God's call going out to the Gentiles? Well, it's, it's all of those things, actually. It's all of those things. Um, but the result is that people who would never have been invited are invited. People on the outside, like us, get invited. And I went through Luke's Gospel in the last couple of weeks and I counted all the instances where Jesus invites somebody in who is an outsider and welcomes them in. And there are almost 20 of them. And that's almost one every chapter. There's 24 chapters in Luke. That's almost one every chapter. It is so clearly a part of Jesus' message and ministry that he invites the uninvited to the party and he calls us to do likewise. Um, I re-watched this clip on YouTube this week, but have you seen that clip where Tony Campolo tells that story about how he throws a birthday party for a prostitute at 3.30 in the morning? Have you ever have you seen that one? Well, he's, he's, he's speaking in, in Honolulu, in, in Hawaii, and uh, he goes out at 3.30 in the morning because of the time difference, he's still awake, um, and he goes into this uh, diner, and uh, it suddenly fills with prostitutes. And he's surrounded by these prostitutes, and one of them says to the other one, it's my birthday tomorrow, and I've never had a birthday party. And they just kind of scorn her, really. And Tony hears this, and he says to the diner owner, he says, why don't we put on a party tomorrow for Agnes, for this lady? And, um, and he does it, and it's absolutely amazing. Um, and at the end of it, 
the guy behind the counter says to him, what kind of church do you belong to? And Tony says, I belong to a church that throws parties, birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. And the guy behind the counter says, no you don't, no you don't, because if you did, I'd go to that church. (laughs) God's heart for his church, this is God's heart for his church. You know, Jesus has done something amazing for us in, in giving us the possibility to be reconciled back to God. And we, the church, is meant to bring parties to those who have no parties and celebration to the lives of those who have nothing to celebrate. But, you know, if we are, are going to do this, and this is what it says in this parable here, we mustn't pretend this is going to be easy. Because I think when you, if you start doing these things, when you start doing these things, two things will happen. You will see a measure of transformation in people's lives. But you will also probably get frustrated and hurt it'll be messy you know I'm not trying to paint some tranquil utopian vision here um, of what it's like to do this stuff it's messy it can be dangerous it can be just downright odd Um, a church I used to lead in London we used to have a meal together every week and uh, we'd go around different people's homes for that and I remember once we were in this home with this young guy um, who'd become a Christian he wasn't that long in his faith and um, for some reason, he decided to put chilli powder in the mashed potato. <laughs> and uh, bless him, he's, I love him. And uh, there was a guy there who was very vulnerable, who was an alcoholic. And uh, I remember my memory is being in the toilet with this guy, this vulnerable guy, who was basically choking, his face was red, me whacking him on the back, um, and trying, thinking, do I need to phone an ambulance? Um, and there was a couple there that night who'd never been before, and I was driving them home, me and Connie would drive them home afterwards, and um, I said to them, what did you make of it? <laughs> and they were like, we loved it. We absolutely loved it. And they, they became part of our church. But I thought, what an introduction. You know, it is odd. Sometimes it is just downright odd when you sort of start inviting the broken in to your community and you sort of, somebody puts chilli powder in the mash. Um, I remember this guy, the, the guy I was just saying about the alcoholic guy. Um, I'd met him at the food bank. Now, we used, to, we used to volunteer at the food bank once a month and we get to meet the people who came in with their, flight, their vouchers and um, we weren't really meant to have any contact with them afterwards but I did something slightly illegal in that I got this guy's phone number um, because, um, don't tell anyone, will you? Um, but uh, I got his phone number because I could just, my heart went out to him and uh, ended up meeting up with him and, and inviting him to our church and I remember the first time he came it was at our house and uh, he was talking about the state he was in, very, very vulnerable character, rejected by his family, um, really struggling with alcohol problems, although we didn't really know that at the time. And Connie said to me, we should invite him to stay with us tonight. And I said, no. <laughs> I don't think so, darling. Um, but as often happens, my wife gets her way. And uh, I, uh, we did end up having this guy stay with us and uh, I went into the kitchen and took all the knives and put them under our bed, literally did, um, and I was so concerned that we probably would be killed in the night, um, but we weren't, we're here today. Um, and we journeyed with this guy for the next three years, um, regularly met up with him and, and had a, a fry up in a calf with him, uh, my blood pressure went through the roof uh, that, those, those few years. Um, <laughs> But um, regularly having these fry-ups with uh, this guy and meeting up with him. And, and did he become a Christian? I don't know. I don't know. But what I know is we welcomed him into a family. And then when I got the phone call from his estranged daughter um, one afternoon to tell me that he had died, 
um, we ended up meeting up with his son, his daughter, and his ex-wife, and uh, we told them about what we'd been doing, and they were absolutely blown away that the church, they had no experience of church, that the church would welcome in somebody like this, as, as they saw it. And they asked me to speak at his funeral, and I just shared a short word at his funeral about God's love for the broken. I can't remember if it was from this passage or not, but it was an incredible journey with that guy. Um, but it led me to sort of think about some questions, my experiences. It's, you know, how do you support someone for the long haul when, bar a miracle, they will never improve? It's hard to journey with people when they probably will never improve. And how do you live with the hope of change and yet the reality of suffering that is before you without it crushing you? How do you keep hope for change when you don't see change, when all you see is suffering? Do you know, because when we follow God's call to do these things, or whatever it might be, we want our experience to be, it worked out really well, I saw loads of fruit, and I'm really happy. <laughs> we want that to be. But there's no guarantee that that will be what happens. And so what happens when you follow God's call and it doesn't work out well? When you don't really see any change, or maybe things get worse? What then? Paul writes in Romans 5, 3-5, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And Paul is saying here, even in suffering, God is at work. God can use it for good. In the midst of it, you may not be able to see it, and if you're in it at the moment, you might be quite angry that I've even suggested that. But I just felt like God wanted me to say to some of you today, thank you, thank you for persevering. I know it's not as you want it to be, but thank you for following my call even when it isn't easy. Thank you for persevering. This doesn't mean, of course, that we never, it's never right to create some space away from people or situations that we're struggling with. Of course it is, and we need to be wise in that. But I guess my question is, how do we actively pursue the uninvited? What does it look like to offer generous hospitality, the hospitality of God to Littlehampton? What does it look like to invite Littlehampton to come and eat with us? Finally, the third thing on my fridge. Often on the fridge there'll be something like this. Next slide. Oh, no, no that's the one. Um, sorry, they're in the wrong order. Um, you're invited. You, there'll often be an invitation, a wedding invite or a party invite on our fridge. And I think there's two sides to this. And the first is, we are invited, as I've been saying, to get involved in, in seeing God's kingdom come. You know, the call to go is a serious call that Jesus gives, that every follower of Jesus must heed. And in verses 18 to 20 of our passage, for very valid reasons, three people say no. Bought a field, verse 18, Bought some oxen, verse 19, got married, verse 20. And if I can summarize it this way, you know, it seems that people's desire for property, possessions, and relationships have caused them to miss out on the kingdom of God that is right before them. And, I mean, it's ouch, this is a sober warning for us. The, the fo following Jesus will get in the way of other things that you desire. And we need to make a choice. You know, is Jesus better than other stuff? Or not? It says in verse 21 that the owner of the house was angry with their response. 
you know, when I was telling you earlier about um, sitting in my flat, on that studio flat, and I first read this parable, first took notice of this parable in my early 20s, I think what I realized that day was that there was more to following Jesus than I had previously thought, and that I was currently living. And I guess I just need to say to you, and I hope I can say this in the right way, stop compromising the message of Jesus by clinging on to properties, possessions, or relationships. Let them go. You know, maybe ask Jesus this simple question, what are you calling me to do? What are you calling me to do? There we go back to that other slide. Is that possible to go back once? There we are, wonderful. Emperor Julian, you may have seen this quote before, but Emperor Julian was uh, one of the last Roman emperors before um, the Roman Empire converted to Christianity. And what he tried to do was revive paganism. Uh, He was pretty annoyed by these Christians, and he writes to one of his pagan priests, and he says this, Nothing has contributed to the progress of the superstition of these Christians as their charity to strangers. They provide not only for their own poor, but ours as well. Christians have always been doing this stuff. And one person commenting on this says, Jews take care of the Jewish poor, Greeks take care of the Greek poor, and Romans take care of the Roman poor. But these Christians are unbelievable. They take care of everybody. They take care not only of their own poor, but ours as well. They're promiscuous with their generosity. That's what's with these people. As a result, they're unbelievably attractive, and there is nothing that has given them more power in our culture than their service, their loving deeds. And the question is, how do we take our time, our money, our, our stuff, our physical presence, our body, and get involved where the fabric of society is breaking down? And there's some great examples of people I know. I mean, laughter over lunch. What a simple example. Brilliant, guys, wherever you are. Well done for creating a space where people who are lonely or on their own can come and have lunch. I've got some friends at a church in South London who've, who um, put themselves forward to host a family of refugees from Syria and all of that might mean. I've got another friend in London who set up a textile business um, and she employs people with learning difficulties and disabilities and is paying them and teaching them how to use the sewing machines and giving them trade. There's a wonderful family in this church who are my heroes really who show hospitality by fostering children. You know, dark areas where hurting people will stay that way unless people who aren't like that move into that place, move into that town and begin helping these people see that life doesn't have to be that way and announce to them and show them that Jesus is the answer. And I know that some of you are already doing this and it's beautiful. But perhaps for almost all of us, it's as simple as making some time available to God and just say, as I said earlier, what, what are you calling me to do? to be able to get alongside the poor, the vulnerable, the lonely, in big or small ways. And very finally, the second way this invitation goes out to us is that we are invited. We are invited. You know, I may not be blind, lame, or crippled on the outside, but I sure am on the inside sometimes. In my attitudes, in the way I speak to people, in my struggles with lust or anger. Blind unable to see God, lame, lacking the strength to overcome sin, crippled by various things from the past. And if that's how you feel today, then know that you're exactly the ones that you're invited to the party by the host of this party, who's Jesus. And he changes us. 
Let's not imagine this is us changing ourselves. God does something for us in Christ that we cannot do for ourselves. So no matter how you feel today, whether you understand your feelings and the position you've got yourself into or not, you are invited. You are invited to the feast of the kingdom of God. You are welcome. God says to you, you are welcome because Christ has died for you. You can enter in, and not just once, but every time, every day, every day.